Well, good morning and welcome again to Journey. We're glad you're here today on a nasty, wet day, uh, somewhere nice and warm and dry to be. So welcome to our time together. My name is Randy, and I'm really excited about today. This is uh, it's an awesome story. We've been uh, traveling through here. It's about six weeks in the study. Uh, we've got one more week after this one to kind of wrap up this book, the book of Ruth. And, uh, you know, as we began this book, we said a lot of times we don't, we don't go to the Old Testament to get truth and principles and uh, and guidelines for life, but there's so much relevant stuff there. And uh, just who would know the book of Ruth talked about doing business? Well, it does, and some great principles there. In fact, I wanted to kick off our time by giving you some basic principles about how to do business the Christian way. Just real quick, some bullet points. So if you're in business, uh, you, you either know these exist or you know they don't exist in the place you're, you're at. Uh, but here's some real basic things. First of all, when it comes to do business the, the Christian way, the element of trust, trusting God. I mean, anytime that you're uh, endeavoring to do something for God, you've got to trust that God is in it. If you're in business, make sure the business you're in or the job you're in is one that you can honor God in, that it is honorable to God in what you're doing. And then also understand that God oversees that business and give it to Him and trust Him. Be obedient and trust Him in every aspect of it. Number two, if you're in business, learn the secret of giving. The secret of giving, the more you have, I believe God blesses us so we can give more away. And so if you understand that you've been blessed and you have a business and it's being blessed right now, uh, the whole goal of getting more is to give it to other people. It, wealth itself can do you no good alone. It can be taken from you. Inflation can erode it away. You can lose it all in a moment. Trust that God's given you this, and so give as much of it away as possible. Number three, stewardship. Be faithful in managing what God's put in your hands. No matter what it is, if you own it or you run it or manage it, whatever it is, just use that in a way that glorifies God and understand that when you treat people fairly and you do what God says, you manage well and you have a good product, God's going to bless it. Number four, integrity. Use integrity in all of your dealings. Be guided by the Holy Spirit and understand that if God directs you in something and you make a decision, then God's going to lead you to, to, to be blessed by that. In fact, the answer to every dilemma or every question about business is in your heart as God leads you through his Holy Spirit. So understand where integrity comes from. Number five, use what you have wisely. Whatever God's giving you, use it and use it for something. If it's not selling or helping you sell something else, then get rid of it. Give it to somebody, sell it cheap or give it away or whatever. If you have an employee that's working for you and it's not working for either of you or it's not working for you, uh, then help them get motivated or help them find a place somewhere else that they might get, get motivated as well. The Bible tells us that not using our talents is a sin. Number six, borrow and lending. The Bible's pretty clear that if you want to be in bondage to somebody else, borrow money from them. That's the best way possible. If you don't want to be in bondage, avoid borrowing. And as far as lending, by all means, lend to people if you can. But whenever you lend, view it as a gift. If you get it back, it's a bonus. But basically, it's a gift that you're giving away. And then number seven, treat people well. Treat people well. Be the very best you can be. Be the best supplier. Be the best customer. Be the best uh, whatever you are, just make sure that you are the very best and be fair in all of your dealings and express appreciation to employees and patrons as well. Now, why do we talk about business? Because God cares about the mundane things in life. 
You don't, se- you don't separate your life and, you know, this compartment is, is faith and this compartment is work and this compartment is family. It all flows together as a Christian. So whatever you do in everything, bring glory to God. Amen. And I share that in this context of the study because today we're going to talk about a business deal that if you were to look at it by itself, you might say, well, I don't know why that's in the Bible. But when you look at the wholeness of it, how it's done and what it accomplishes, we're going to see how God was moving. And here we are in the book of Ruth. Like, like we said earlier, and uh, just to catch you up, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but just real quickly, Ruth was a pagan woman who came to know the Lord, the God of Israel, through her mother-in-law, Naomi. And her husband, Naomi's son, had died, and she followed Naomi, who was herself a widow, back to the land of God, back to Bethlehem, where they had lived previously. And they were broke when they got there. They had no home. They had no money. They had no jobs, no prospects of anything. And so on the very first day that they're back, Ruth takes initiative, gets up early in the morning, and goes out to a harvest field that just happens to be owned by a distant relative of Naomi. She doesn't know that. She just ends up there because uh, uh, this man, whose name was Boaz, was a very generous man. He opened up his field to people who were poor. He allowed them to come and glean or or, uh, work in the margins of the field. And uh, he blessed them, and he allows them to survive. It's a way to help other people. He sees Ruth in his field. He knows she is a foreigner, that she doesn't belong there. Uh, And she catches his eye, but immediately he begins to have, I think, some feelings or attraction toward her. And that just simply grows as he comes to know her character and see the kind of person that she really is. He encourages his guys not to bother her, but instead to deliberately give her some grain, to drop some of their uh, barley as they're harvesting in her path, so she'll have plenty. Now, obviously, the name of this series is The Big Little Love Story, so obviously, you probably already caught on that Ruth and Boaz fall in love. But like Tony talked about last week, Boaz wants the relationship to be above board in every way, and he did an awesome job of talking about Naomi's bad advice. Uh, to Ruth, you know, go and play a little bit, play up to him, and, and Ruth, uh, Ruth does exactly what Naomi suggests, but Boaz, instead, he says, no, let's make sure that we do this very well and pure in God's, God's eyes, and they want to make sure the relationship is sexually pure, because he really does care for Ruth, and he wants to marry her. That was a little tricky in that day, because again, she was from another country, and uh, he wants to do everything right, and a part of that is basically the purchase of land that had once belonged to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And they had, the land had probably just lain there, grown up with weeds and bushes over 10 years. Uh, and so it was time to do something with it. It wasn't providing a, any produce or a cop for them at this point. And so Naomi says, all I have is the land that belonged to my husband, and we're going to do something with it. Now, in that day, if a man died, the nearest relative would have the chance to step up and purchase the land uh, that, that would have belonged to the, uh, the family. And he would have opportunity to buy that, and he also was obligated to take care of the man's family as well. And they called this individual a kinsman redeemer. Now, the word kinsman is pretty obvious. It would just be a relative. But the redeemer is a word that we really find introduced in this book of the Bible. It's one of the, one of the great points. To me, it's probably the high point of the entire book, the idea of a redeemer. And Boaz was one of these kinsman redeemers But we're also going to discover that there was someone else who was closer to the family. There was a closer relative who had the first shot at being able to redeem the land and also uh, being able to provide for Naomi and Ruth. And so Boaz is going to do some business. That's why 
I wanted to talk to you a little bit up front about Christian business and how we go about that. And Boaz is going to do that, uh, and he's going to do it the right way. And he's going to get it done soon. In fact, uh, if you all were here last week, you know the last verse in chapter 3 that Naomi said to her, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And what I, I get from that is that Boaz is in love. You know, guys, we can really get motivated when we're in love, right? That we're going to take care of business. We're gonna put it, not going to put it off. If you're in love or you're motivated by something, by emotion, you're going to get it done. And that's exactly what happens because the next morning from exactly when, where you were last week in chapter 3, the next morning Boaz takes care of business and he, he moves this thing along. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and he sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sat down. And so he went over and sat down, and Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sat here, and they did so. So what does Boaz do? Well, he goes and locates himself at the city gate of this small town. Now, Bethlehem, you probably know it was a small town, even later on when Jesus was born there. It was a small town. They didn't have a courthouse. They didn't have city hall, more than likely. They had a front gate. And that's where everybody kind of congregated and went to drink their coffee at like McDonald's on, on, the, you know, on the mornings when the gossiped and caught up on everything. And that's kind of where it was. And so he goes there, locates himself, and just who happens to walk along just happens to be the other kinsman who has the, the first shot. And he sees him walking by there, and, uh, and uh, he calls him over. Now, this whole situation, you got to kind of understand what's happening, and, and the best way I could think about it would be in our world, it would be like if you wanted to buy a house, let's say you saw a house and you wanted to buy it, and you looked at the house, and then you put together an offer, and you gave it to the uh, owner, and they came back and they said, well, they, they like your offer, however, there's somebody else who has the first right of refusal, and, uh, and they're going to get the first shot to buy the house. So if you've ever been in that situation, you kind of know you're hoping that they don't choose to buy the house, that they're going to pass on it. But you're waiting. You're kind of just in, in, in limbo, to waiting to see what they're going to do. And that's kind of how it was with Boaz and this other guy. He, he knows the guy, and he's waiting to see if he's going to exercise this option that he has to redeem the land. Boaz knows what he's doing, and so he knows where the first guy's going to be early in the morning, and he catches him there. He asks him to sit down to talk and do business, and then he quickly gathers 10 elders of the town to, do, to listen to the business. They had to have some witnesses in that day. You know, as I look at all this, I think, you know, Boaz had given this quite a bit of thought, probably. This wasn't an impromptu thing. He knew exactly what he was going to do, but I also see what God was doing as well. Because this little love story is not just a happenstance, it's a part of God's big love stories. We're going to see here in a few moments about how it plays out and, and what it looks like on down the road through his, uh, his, uh, his descendants. But see that God was orchestrating this whole thing. And I told you a couple of weeks ago that I believe that God has his hand in much more than what we ever truly realize. We believe that daily events just happen and things just, you know, coincidences and things just fall. But isn't it like that, is it? God is bigger than that. I believe God has a hand, that God is powerful. God can do anything. He can make the unlikely and even the impossible happen. And we would just mark it up to coincidence, but now God is moving in all those things. And, and God cares about the little things of life, your little things 
in your little life and my little life, God really knows and God cares about those things. And I believe that God pulls things and makes them happen. You know, uh, you, maybe you, I don't know if you've ever seen a cross stitch and got a picture on the front. Somebody spent some time. If you look at the back of that, you see a big jumble of threads and it looks like that nothing would ever make sense of all this jumble. But flip it over and you see that someone has painstakingly drawn a picture with the thread and the back would not reflect it but on the front you see what they were really trying to do and it's kind of how we are in fact the bible says that we see through a glass uh, in, uh, dimly that we don't see what's going on but one day we will see him face to face and we'll see the big picture Amen. so we have right now we just have to trust him in all of these things and we may not see what he's doing maybe you're in the middle of it maybe you're in the jumble and life looks like a mess and could never come together but one day you will see what God is doing. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called to his purposes. So you've got to make sure that you love God, that you're being called to his purposes, and I believe one day God will reveal the big picture, the clarity to you. Amen. Ruth and Boaz had both been called to God's purposes. I'm not sure either of them, either of them knew what it would all entail and what it would mean, but they had to let God work this out. And we've seen, you know, as the video said, we've seen Ruth who was in desperation and loss and had been through so much. She was praying that God would give her some hope, that God would give her a future, praying for help, praying for a redeemer. Boaz, on the other hand, was praying that, that their circumstances were different, but he was praying that God would give him a future, that God would give him a wife, that God would give him a family, descendants, and and, and a, a family to love. And so they were working together, and God drew them to one another as they were together, and his plan began to be revealed. So let's pick it up. So it says, Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling this piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so, but if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. So Boaz kind of lays it out there, and, and he says, I don't know if you know, but, but uh, Naomi's going to sell her land, and you've got the first shot at it. I don't, we don't know if the guy knew about it or not, but, but he's telling him, you got the shot to do this, and if you want to, I would suggest you go ahead and exercise that right so nobody else gets it. But if you don't do it, then I will. And the last statement there in that verse, the other guy says, I will redeem it. So initially, the guy in first position jumps on the deal. He thought this was a great deal. God had given each family a segment of land when they took over the promised land. And, and that family didn't often give up their land. So it would probably be unlikely that they would ever be able to buy more land anywhere else. So when land came up to be available, the first person that was... Uh, was able was going to grab that land and so uh, this redeemer was going to buy it to keep it in his family now this might sound like bad news you might think wow this was probably didn't work so well you know because the, the guy's going to redeem it but you know what Boaz is a pretty shrewd businessman keep in mind that he had endured the famine that had driven Elimelech and his family away and he had survived it and now the first year back in business when crops were growing he was prospering he had barley harvest and this was was cashing that out so he had some cash on hand and he knew what he was doing and so uh, we pick up the scripture Boaz said on the day you buy the land from Naomi 
you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And he says, well, you got the chance to do this, but by the way, along with that land, and it is a pretty nice piece of land, but along with that land, you also have to take uh, care of Ruth. You know, Ruth, she's from a foreign land, and she's got a mother-in-law named Naomi, who is a bitter mother-in-law, and you have to take care of them for the rest of your life, the rest of their lives. So maybe it's not that great deal. I think that Boaz was honest in his dealings, but seems to me like he painted this in the worst light possible. Like, uh, oh yeah, it's a great deal, but there's some baggage that goes along with it, you know? I mean, there's that beautiful young foreigner that you're going to take home to your wife. How are you going to explain that? And then you got this bitter mother-in-law. You already got one right at home. I'm going to take another one home with you. But, you know, you get first shot. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it. I, I, I might, uh, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. You know, I, I kind of love this picture. It, this is a deal breaker right here, guys. It's like, I, I, you know, the, the young woman, I might work with the mother-in-law. Uh, really, I think what he was saying is if I have to tell my wife that I'm going to bring home, you know, a, a, another beautiful young woman into our home, and I'm going to bring another bitter lady, older lady, then I'm out. You know, I'm not going to do that. So now Boaz, the plan has worked exactly like he thought, I, I think, and he's free to redeem the land and to have Ruth for his wife legally. And, uh, and I think he knew all along that, that God was going to make this happen. And I also think that he knew that Naomi had some great potential, which is a an important part of our story, we're going to see next week how her hope and her life is redeemed as well. But in doing this, what Boaz has done is he submitted his name in history in a way that he never would have known at the time. And isn't that how it is in God, our lives sometimes, that decisions that we make echo down through time, and while we're making them, we have no idea what God's doing. And only later, maybe in other generations, will they see our faithfulness. That's why it's so important that we do the right thing in the right way all the time, in business and in our faith and our family, whatever it may be, we never know what our small decisions or the small actions that we have will have huge repercussions down the road. And we're going to see how that is in just a minute here. But let's continue on. Now, in the earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalizing transactions in Israel. And so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Now, we're getting in the weeds here. We're like, what in the world has the shoe got to do with it? Well, in those days when they would sell property, they would go out together, the, the buyer and the seller, and they would walk the property, walk the land together. They would note the boundaries, kind of like a survey might be, or a title check, or an appraisal today. And they would agree on price, and then the seller would take off his sandal, implying that no longer would he walk on the land, it being his own. So he would take a sandal off, and he would give it to the other guy, the buyer. And then the buyer would step onto the land, and he would claim it as his own. I think it's kind of like our version of a notary. And uh, so somewhere down the road, if someone were to say, uh, do you have a deed? He would say, no, but I have a sandal that uh, belongs to this guy that sold it to me. I assume that's what, what it might be like. Anyway, then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today your witness is that I bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family 
or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. So Boaz declares that not only is he redeeming the land, he is purchasing it fairly and in the, the correct way, but he's also redeemed or rescued Ruth, who was also owner of the land, her husband having inherited from his father, and then her having ownership when her husband passed away. So Ruth and Naomi kind of owned it together. And he also declared that Ruth is going to become his wife. And he knows this is God's will. He knows it is. I'm sure he's prayed about it. But he's also stepping outside of societal norms. This isn't normal for things to happen like this or a foreigner. You see, he did not have to marry Ruth. In fact, he could have made her a slave or a servant. She kind of came with the land. But instead, he declares, no, I'm going to redeem her as well and show her value. And I'm also even going to honor her late husband, the guy that really never had a shot at life, you know, Malon in, in the, the, uh, the foreign land. And what we see through all of this is that Boaz just does it all right. He's an upright man, and he wants to make sure that he is doing everything correctly in order for God to bless it. And God really is going to bless his life. And so then the elders and all the people of the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, obviously, these were older; these were people, ancestors, who had, had been blessed through, down through time. And, and they realized that not only had you know, uh, Boaz done something great for this family, but also for the whole community. And he also, also recognized his marriage to Ruth because I think she had won them all over by her beauty and character. And so they actually pray a prayer of blessing over them. May the Lord bless you like he did Rachel and Leah. Now, if you know the story of Rachel and Leah, they were the wives of Jacob, two of them, and together they had like 13 children. So Ruth is probably going, maybe not quite as much as you blessed Ruth and uh, Rachel and Leah uh, with children. But keep in mind, to this point, she had no children. And Boaz had no children, no legacy whatsoever. But if you know the story and you've read on ahead, you know that together they did have a son. They had a son named Obed, and from his line came some of the greatest people in the Bible, David and Solomon. And later on, a few decades, generations later, Jesus Christ. That's what's so amazing about this story. And so Boaz pays the price to redeem Ruth and the land, and he becomes the ancestor of Jesus, where this little love story plugs into God's big love story of the Bible. Now, I want to wrap up this little part today by, by just kind of talking about Redeemer for just a moment. You know, in the Old Testament, we see a lot of Jesus. We don't see Jesus himself, but we see a lot of types of Jesus, different ways that we see him pictured, his, his saving power, his, his authority, uh, his might is displayed. And I think that Boaz is one type of Christ. And I'll tell you why, because he is a Redeemer and later on, his descendant, Jesus, will be the redeemer, the deliverer, the rescuer, the savior of the world. Someone said a redeemer is a person who gets himself or gets us out of trouble that we get ourselves into. When we can't rescue ourselves, we can't, we can't solve the problem, a redeemer has to step in to pull us out of it. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to earth to redeem us and save us. And so in the place of Boaz, we see a lot of parallels here. We see that Boaz was a near kinsman to Naomi and Ruth. 
And we see that Jesus came down not to be just God, but to be man and to be like us, to be one of us. We see also though Boaz was not obligated to save the women, just like Jesus wasn't obligated to die and save us. We see that Boaz paid the required price to redeem the land and them, and Jesus paid the required sacrifice for us as well. We see how Boaz satisfied the demands of the law. He paid the price, and Jesus satisfied the demands of the law, which said without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. That Boaz loved Ruth as his wife, and Jesus loved the church as his bride. That Boaz took Ruth home and made her a part of his family And one day Jesus will come and take us home to heaven and share everything with us, his family. All those parallels that we see. And just to wrap it up, let me just say that that we also see here an incredibly well-done business transaction that accomplished what needed to be done for God's will to be done. But let me tell you, there was a greater business transaction of all. And that was when Jesus Christ came down and exchanged his life for hours. When he took upon himself that great sacrifice, when he redeemed mankind and in turn offered redemption to all of us through his death on the cross, the most powerful transaction that was ever done, he traded his life for hours so that we might live. He died on the cross and he offers that redemption to us. That's the beautiful picture and I was telling them earlier this morning, I think it's the most important part of the entire book. You can't miss it. Without that, it's just a cute little story. But with that powerful point of redemption, we see the big picture of what God was doing and how this small picture just personifies. It just illustrates it in a really, really neat way. And so my challenge to you this morning would be to make sure that you are among the redeemed. That you are willing, if Ruth had not been willing, and she could have stuck, been stuck in her old life the rest of her life. But she chose something better. She chose to respond to the offer that Boaz made. He asked her, seemed like publicly, to be his wife, and she said yes, and everyone approved it. And God blessed it. And that's what God wants for your life, for you to acknowledge him, to receive his offer of redemption, that you might find salvation for eternity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word and, and Lord, how, how it illustrates your great love for us. God, thank you that we can, can dig into this and we can see in what could be viewed as a mundane thing, a business deal, but more importantly, God, how you want us to do business, but also that when we do things your way, we can experience amazing blessings. God, I pray that, that you would challenge us, each of us, to know that we are among the redeemed, that we would understand what redemption means, the, the lostness that we have and the, the great sacrifice that it takes for our lives to be bought, for us to be saved, and what Jesus did. And Lord, in knowing that, we would respond not only by accepting him, but perhaps more importantly, by living it out every day of our life, by showing the glory of the Lord, and by serving, by being obedient, submissive to you. Lord, we love you. We worship you. My prayer is that if there are those here this morning who have never given their life to Christ, that, Father, they would be compelled to say, I want to have that conversation. I want to talk about what it means for me to experience redemption as well. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.